Eternal Dirtles is a Hipsters of the Coast podcast sponsored by Paragon City Games and Bearded Dragon Games. You can support us at patreon.com slash eternal dirtles. Welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Nathan Gully and Phil Blackman. How's it going, guys? Awesome. Same. Same. Uh, yeah, so this week uh, we've got uh, we've got like a fun episode where we kind of uh, came up with some ideas about cards that we know are underplayed and we think could see more play in the format and, uh, you know, just under uh, the underrated, uh, you know, uh, under the radar kind of kind of thing uh, this week. Uh so we each came up with a card, or two, or three, or four, or five, and uh, I think uh, we're going to discuss them. Yeah, yeah, it pretty much came out of the idea that there were we were talking about what new cards from the new set would be legacy playable, and then that just brought us to the topic of there are probably a bunch of cards that could see more play if time was devoted to them. Right. And I think, I want to start with the one that you sent, Phil, it was, a very, it was the first thing that popped into your mind. And I think we should start with it, and that's Dak Faden. You know, I keep looking at this card because, you know, of my love of Bedlam Reveler and Barry, um, I'm sorry, uh, Hollow One and Arclight Phoenix, and I can't find the slot for it, but it is a sweet card. Like, what do you think would be the kind of deck that could abuse this in Legacy? So I think three mana is obviously a lot, right? He's three mana, and he doesn't actually put you up a card unless you steal an artifact. And, yeah. like... Against Stoneforge Mystic decks or against um, D&T that are playing a bunch of artifacts that you know about in the main, the only other thing that you're usually going to get in the main, unless you're playing an off-the-beaten-path deck like 12 Post, would be like stealing somebody's Strix. But I actually think stealing somebody's Strix is actually, is really good, um, depending on like the decks that you're playing it with. Like if you're playing, like let's say you were playing a Grixis Mirror, right? And you yeah. had a deck in your somewhere in your deck, and it's easier on your mana than uh, like having uh, A B in a color pattern as opposed to A A. I think is just an easier card to cast. Of course, yeah. Um, but like, let's say you are playing a Grixis Mirror and you steal somebody's Strix, you not only then blank a Gurmag unless they want to spend removal on the Strix, which means that deck is you know just puts you up a card. Um, but also, it means that your edicts are turned back on. Yep. Yeah. And so, like, there's there's like subtle play patterns along that, and then also you get to fuel your Gurmag anglers faster than theirs. Um, you get to pass like push past chafe that's otherwise dead in the mirror, like fatal pushes. Um, so just like slotting into decks that already exist. But I was actually thinking like the 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 type of decks that he's usually paired with are he's paired with the punishing grove package. Yeah. Just because returning your punishing fire and then turning him to him, him into a card draw engine is, you know, insane. Yeah, it's quite good. And so I was like, you need a reason to be moving into like the the problem with those types of decks are usually they become four color because there's more draws to black than there is to green. Like there's not enough reason to be in green. Right. And so I, I was trying to look into uh, certain cards that, you know, are valuable for the green splash. Um, 
he works really well with Sylvan Library and the control matchups, right? You can just push past Chafe without checking your life total. But the other part was he just enables all of the Delve guys. But now that you have the Terramander, I was like, he can just turn your Terramanders into 5-5s five way faster. Yes, that is definitely true. So, like, the need for the Delve stuff, like, before he would see way more play when you had Treasure Cruise around. Now you want to see him, because uh, he turns on your uh, Tomb Stalkers or your Gurmags faster. But now you can just turn on your uh, Terramanders faster. Like, you have a card that's better than um, Hooting Mandrills in, the, in that, like, sort of mechanical slot. Yeah. And still only would keep you, theoretically, it's in two colors. And then you can look for the green splash off your Sylvan Library or, like, some board cards. You can even move into, like, a, a subtle loam package uh, because you're going to be discarding and then picking up lands anyway. So he just becomes a plus one draw two. Yeah. I also like this uh, because because it is blue, and my biggest concern with Terramander is that it's blue as well, and people are going to Pyroblast it, but if you just overload your deck with blue cards, like they're going to get to a point where they don't have like a thousand Pyroblasts. I want to give some credit to uh, Chase Hansen, Strifo on MTGO, who's been playing Punishing Deck for what seems like forever, and always beats me, by the way. <laughs> um because, well, it, like punishing the punishing fire combination with Dak is just like for some fair decks that are looking to go long, the card advantage is just insurmountable. Well, the thing is, I think you look at his deck. If you look at his deck, um, let me see if I get my screen share on here. It almost kind of looks like a pile. And then, you know, one thing you realize he's got 22 lands with the three decks. So he's going to hit his three lands and he's never going to draw another land again if he doesn't want to, you know? And I think that's sort of the key. I think we get really we get really plugged into these low land count type decks that we sometimes, you know, this this card this is a card that can allow you to play a slightly higher land count to to, to your benefit by having by being a three mana spell itself and also um, you know, filtering out those lands later on. And you know, obviously you need to play the extra lands would be Grove of the Burnwells. I mean, most of these decks probably play 19 lands, he plays 22 and 3 from a Groves. So you can help find those as well. The other thing that I find interesting is that he's playing a Nile Spellbomb, which doesn't have any synergy with the rest of his deck. Like it, it's not like he has any way to recur it. Uh, it's just like a flex slot to hit to interact with a zone that otherwise his deck couldn't interact with. And I'm since he's already on the green splash, and he's playing a bunch of green cards, right? He's I, I see two Ash, Assassin's Trophy. He's got a Leovold. Um, He's not shying away from green cards in the main. I'm curious why he doesn't just play Scoos. I doesn't have enough green mana. You're gonna give him a life every time. You, I don't think he wants. I don't think he wants to do that. That's too mana heavy. I think the spell bomb's an interesting choice just because we could talk about graveyard hate in the main as an idea that is under under appreciated right now, just because there's so many graveyard decks. But um, it just I, I just I don't know. I find his deck interesting because I I feel like I could never get it to work, but he constantly gets it to work. So shout out to him. But um, you know, it's uh, it really sort of you know you see how Dak really ties this deck together with the with the high land count, the punishing fire package, um, and then the sort of lots of one ofs, but you're churning through your deck so fast, and the Leovold combination, obviously, which is probably something he can get online late game. Just yeah. keep emptying their hand. <laughs> All right, so uh, Nate, what's your first card? My first card is Buried Alive, and. I think we're going to get a chance to do a show about the the Arclight Phoenix decks that have been out there. But I actually think this card has been underappreciated in general because it's a tutor for three things. And 
you know, if you have any sort of graveyard card or graveyard creature synergy, I, I, I started playing it in some of the zombie decks to get three blood gas, make a land drop, and then Goblin Bombardment uh, after that. It, it's just so good at getting you far ahead. And I feel like there's probably some other unexplored areas. Buried Alive for three Narc Amoebas puts them into play. Yep. Buried you... Alive for... Sorry, yeah? Oh, no, no, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I was just say Buried Alive for Narc Amoeba and two Prized Amalgams gives you seven power. I mean, I think there's there's it's, it's a card that demands an answer... And it's in that area of cards that the man answer as a three mana sorcery, so is show and tell, right? And that kind of, I think, overshadows it, but there are more hybrid type decks you can play with it, um, like the Phoenix deck and like the zombie decks, that I think uh, the card has a little bit more space, especially since now there isn't, um, you know, a main deck graveyard hate slot in every deck. And your game one, if you resolve one of these and your deck is tuned to abuse it, uh, you probably win. Um, you know, unless there's there's other reasons, you know, why you lose, like they storm you out the next turn or something. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought I think it's a it's an un, it's a very powerful effect that's only going to get more powerful as more graveyard synergistic creatures are pl- are printed. I mean, Arclight Phoenix was a huge wake up call in a way, um, but we already had Vengevine, we already had weird stuff like Flame Wake Phoenix that never really got tested. I mean, there's there's things you could do with this card. So yeah. I don't know if it's, it doesn't. I don't think as much depth as Dak because I think it's fairly obvious what you do with it. But uh, yeah, just a lot of space for it right now. That makes me think of the the fact that uh, since Buried Alive is just triple in tomb, and I wonder why there hasn't been all that much exploration in in tomb being used in non reanimator decks. Like I've I've been I've always thought about like ways where I was like trying to figure out what to do with the old Esperimento deck after the uh, Deathrite ban, and there was a point where I got to try out. I was thinking about just doing a, a Dark Ritual and Tomb style build, but doesn't just fold to hate. Yeah. So you would essentially like you would entomb, like entomb for a Cabal therapy, and that's a way to use your engine of way of ways to like just cast multiple spell cheap spells in a turn for, with your mentor. But I wonder why there hasn't been much other, like, you know, why don't, why don't the decks that are like the life of the loam decks, why aren't they playing in tomb just a two to four land? I played in tomb and loam decks, but yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too. Like, I mean, the entomb idea as a fair card is, is the question is when is it ever, correct to do that and not be playing reanimate and grizzlebrand and i think that's where people get ha- caught up but entomb is a flexible card lots of applications cabal therapy is a good one i have seen people entomb cabal therapy a number of times to just because like oh i whiffed on this first therapy but i need to get it out you know i can want to get this one out again um i've seen people uh or i've had the idea to entomb uh deep analysis okay like, you know End of tier, turn into deep analysis, move to your turn, draw two, and maybe you go somewhere in like the mentor deck. But it's it's hard because of the uh, the pressure on um you know the decks in general, I think, to get that to act to be actual actualized. But this is a bit of a brainstorming session of a show, and I think that people if they're if you if those ideas strike your fancy and you want to try and let us know. Because yeah, I'd love to see if that works out. There are two things I'm thinking of are are, are where like you're playing against, I don't know, a, a Stoneforge Mystic style deck, and you just entomb for a, a ancient grudge. You entomb for a grudge and get them when they they're like not anticipating it. Um, or if you're playing against Reanimator, and they go exhum, you just get to entomb. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, I, I've again things that you can do, but 
Um, whether or not you can get them to work is another question, but yeah. Buried alive in tomb. I mean, getting stuff to the graveyard is really good, and that's and I think that uh, those those cards deserve to be looked at. Uh, Zach, you had. Do you want to do your secret card that you haven't told me and Phil first? No, we'll save that one for the, my next turn. Okay, let's do this. Let's do this one. Then. I've got a card. I've got a card that I was telling them. I think they're going to be uh, wowed by. Uh, and so next time we co- we come back to me, that'll be I'll, I'll reveal that card. But uh, so stay tuned for the for the next fifteen to twenty minutes. For the next fifteen minutes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh yeah so the card uh, uh another card i told them about that they know about is um thunderous wrath i think that's not seeing enough play and i think what's interesting about thunderous wrath is that so many of these decks um are playing just a maximum amount of cantrips right now mm-hmm. um that you're going to set up your deck so easily let me see if i could find this one um, but the arc play deck again that I've been talking about plays 12 cantrips and you have the high impact play of being able to get, um, being able to get arc play Phoenix in play. But here's one I'm showing you guys. It's got four brainstorm, four preordain, um, four careful metamorphose thought scour, you know, those aren't like man, uh, thought scour, careful study aren't going to work necessarily yeah, for this card, but, yeah. but if you just replace those with ponder, you probably can set up your deck pretty easily. And, uh, you know, just a lot of these max, and you're, you know, whacking for five, whacking for five. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, even even in a deck that doesn't necessarily uh, play to the miracle aspect of this card, like you're not starting with this card in your hand every single time you play it. Like, if I was playing Burn, I would think about playing one or two of these just to be like, oh, I drew it, you're dead. You know, like I I think that the the risk reward there is is worth looking at. But like in Blue Red Delver. Like, there's no reason to not be playing, like, one or two of these. It, it gets rid of, like, think of all, all the great creatures in the format right now that have a five toughness. Like, Gurmag Angler, uh, yep. Tombstalker, Tombstalker. Uh, soon uh, Terramander, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think that I think that five toughness is the new three toughness, guys. Yeah, they keep making stuff to dodge bolt, and now here we are, Yeah. right? I'm thinking about the... Like, what are the times where you just get to go Thunderous Wrath and then Noxious Revival Thunderous Wrath and steal a game? Yeah, right? Good God. <laughs> I mean, the thing, there's such a such a combination in uh, along with something like Monastery Swift Spear. I mean, that's just devastating, just backbreaking, right? Um, and if you want to go all in, though I think all in is a good place to be right now, to be honest. I mean, I think all in decks are, are doing pretty well, so it's worth worth looking into. Yeah. Uh, Phil, uh, which of your cards, which I will highlight here, if you can see them? Did you well, with all the talk of Terramander, I think the, there's another card on my list that I brought up just because Terramander exists now. Uh huh. That's that standstill. So your 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 idea here is I'm gonna Terramander and then standstill. Well, like what would happen? Yeah, is that to, like for standstill to work, you need to do things underneath it and then lock people behind a standstill so they're just behind on board so they're compelled to act and give you three cards because otherwise like they can't just let the game continue yeah so like people would do it with like manlands or aether vial uh like you know old yeah. merfolk decks that used to the do merfolk, it right i still play standstill in merfolk when i play merfolk it's just because they're already looking to play aether vial in manlands so they already have a bunch of ways to just play under a standstill yep um but the problem with standstill is that it's it's not a card that you can play when you're behind on board Right. So uh, having Terramander just be 
uh, an additional powerful threat that you can play before you're like on curve with your standstill. Um, Cause like standstill is also somewhat me is like fairly medium on an even board. Like let's say you, they play a threat and you killed it and then untapped and standstilled. Then like, unless you'd find a man land, like nobody's making a move. You're just kind of hitting land drops, which is fine. If you're a deck that wants to do that, right. You want the, if you just want to slow the game down. Um, but ideally your standstill is behind some kind of pressure on them, which compels them to give you three cards because they have to act. And Terramander is a hell of a one to do it because you're just poking them for three. But if everybody's in a high resource situation, at a certain point when they crack the standstill, then you'll be able to just make a bunch of uh, like a bunch of plays that can turn your Terramander out faster, unless they killed it, in which case you went up three cards. Then um, yeah. so I think it's just like one of those like undercosted uh draw threes that doesn't see as much play, but I think Terramander is just another example of a card that works well with it, and then also gives you outs where you're not confined into a second color yet. Can I tell you something that happened to me the other day? I was playing Zombies uh, with Cryptbreaker. Cryptbreaker is the zombie where you pay one black, tap, discard a card to make a zombie. My opponent was playing Standstill. They Threads of disloyalty my Cryptbreaker, <laughs> then played a Standstill. <laughs> And that really sucked <laughs> because they just made a zombie every turn and went around my zombies that I had made. So uh, I think that one mana threat into standstill is something that I don't think it's been explored that much. Even when Deathrite was legal, you'd see the occasional Deathrite standstill deck. But I think that, um, you know, maybe there's just better things to do with a Deathrite at that point. Yeah, um, also, I agree. But <laughs> probe therapy still existed at that point. That's right. Probe and therapy still existed. That's also true. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, a one like Cryptbreaker and Terramander are relatively recent additions to the format and you can play them under your own standstill and they're going to run away with the game even even more so than something like Packrat, which, you know, is a turn two play. And then you have a turn three standstill, which isn't nearly as good. Usually your opponent can interact with it by then. But yeah, good call. An interesting point. Um, is it back to me? Yeah, it's or back to you. Back to well, me. One, one, can I do one more thing on standstill? Yeah. Sure. Uh, Zach, did you ever uh, try standstill in uh, Rug Delver? I've never tried standstill in Rug Delver. I've, well, I've I played standstill Delver against or... Rug Delver. <laughs> I did. I did that. I sideboarded it in when there was a lot of miracles at the shop. I sideboarded it in standstill. It was okay. I, I put it in Murf or um, in fact too. I People learned tried that. a very valuable lesson with uh, with standstill against Rug Delver once, where uh, I turn one. Uh, played a land, didn't play anything else. Uh, my opponent plays. Oh no, I played a. I played a curse catcher. My opponent plays a Delver, and I'm like, okay. I play a Mutavolt, and I'm like, all right, let's see what happens. I slam the Delver. I, I, I attack him first, and I slam the standstill, and I'm like, well, I like I'm ahead. You know, if if uh, if anything goes wrong, he untaps, flips his Delver, wastelands my Mutavolt. <laughs> And I'm like, oh no! Yep, so that... I learned that very valuable lesson uh, at at an SEG tournament in uh, in uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey. That was like my first uh, legacy event. Yeah, which we were both at. Yep. Yep. Um, cool. Um, we talked about Terramander a little bit already. I'm gonna say I'm taking a mea culpa on that. I actually do think it's good, and I think I miss I underestimated the val the marginal value of just having this card in your deck and not you know in blue um or at one mana 
Like, I kind of thought, like, well, splashing is free in Legacy, so why wouldn't you just play Gurmangangler or Tombstalker or Tarmogoy for whatever? And then I realized it's even better to not be open to Wasteland and play this off your basic island or play it on turn one instead of turn two and just have it sitting there. So I do think Terramander is a good card. Along with it, I'm playing Bedlam Reveler for sure. I think that if you're going to... I'm not playing green in this in this uh, blue-red deck. I'm testing with it. So your choice is a combo online, of both and, these uh, cards. I just think that the Terramander, Bethlehem Reveler synergy is is good. Yeah. Because you're pumping stuff into your graveyard, and you're going to need to refill, and uh, it feeds both things. There's a lot of pressure if you can ever get that together. What do you think about this mechanic, Phil? Maybe, because you're, you're, like, you're kind of like uh, decks like this. Where you're where you're getting this discount on just the instants and sorceries? Like, do you the, think that's? I think the discounts are insane. Like, with the second Tarmander was spoiled, I was like, this is the, this is the only surefire legacy playable card, like out of the gate in the new set. It's the right? it's the crazy Eddie of uh, of of this format. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I, well, the thing the thing that I recognized was. I also had, I, I, there was a recent episode where we were talking about Bomat Courier, and I was saying that when I played against Bomat Courier, I realized that it was, Bomat was such an incidental threat compared to the other threats that were around it. So the threats that were around it were Delver or Young Pyromancer or Gurmag or j- just like the stuff that kills you way faster. Mm-hmm. And so you're priced into putting your removal on the stuff that can keep the game going because otherwise you're dead. But then over time, as I'm spending resources trying to fight these threats that are around this Bomat, this Bomat is, Bomat is just accruing an insurmountable value exchange that I'm not going to be able to overcome when it gets there. And so I was like, that's a card where you pay a mana, and then it incidentally does this thing that will eventually take over the game as the rest of the game is, continu- is progressing. Yeah. And then you have to spend a mana to actually turn it into the thing that wins the game. And I'm like... Terramander is the exact same, or yeah, it's the exact same mechanic, right? It's like, yeah, if I deal with the thing, I get rid of these exiled cards. They don't draw a bunch of cards, but that's where, like, this one just is straight up like, okay, I'm going to nug you in the air until I become a threat that then kills you. Yeah. I, in fact, where this podcast started was when we were talking about whether or not uh, we would, de- like, I would decide to continue playing Tarmogoyf with this card around. Yeah, I think it takes you even farther away from needing cards like that in the blue decks, at least. Yeah. Um, which, you know, your mileage may vary. I, you know, I've been seeing our friend Lee's been doing well. He still has four Mongeese and two of these. I just can't see that being correct. I think, you know, I, I would rather play Mongoose than this from a I enjoy looking at my deck perspective. Um, but I, I honestly think this card is enough on its own. That you don't even need to play green. If you're, well, you know, Terramander's doing like what you were talking about, how it works alongside Bedlam Reveler because it doesn't exile your yard the way Gurmag does. That's the same look at what it's doing for Nimble Mongoose. You know, it's it's essentially the Gurmag that lets you still play with these other cards. And Arc Like Phoenix, Terramander, all of these new cards that are coming in, they're they're like they're reasonable cards. Like they're nothing crazy. The thing is, is that they're rewarding you for something that Legacy already wants you to be doing, yeah. which is all of these Xerox, like low to the ground cantrip decks, are they're just rewarding you for something that you are already down to be doing. It's already the best thing you can be doing. Yeah, yeah. 
So you don't really like some of these decks are trying to exploit art like Arclight a little bit faster, like you were talking about with uh, Buried Alive or these guys that are playing Careful Study to enable it. But like, aside from people who like, you don't have to go out of your way to make these cards insane. You know, you could just play like like uh, Lee's doing in his in his in Rugdal, but you can just play the card alongside the cards you already want to be playing. Yeah, and it's just going to be good. It's the same way with Gurmag, right? Like Gurmag's just a, a a doofus idiot, right? But you you want to be playing with special and cantrips anyway, so you might as well play this free five five. Yeah, and the, the, to be fair, to be clear, like I I think you could go either way. I think that it really depends on what you think. Um, like if you think you're going to play against a bunch of miracles, I think I would definitely play uh, Nimble Mongoose. You know, um, I don't think that's something that I that I deal with as much. Recently, we're seeing miracles drop down in in MetaShare more and more. Um, so I, I don't really think that it's as, you know, the nimble mongoose shroud is as valuable because it's either going to get blocked, which Terramander doesn't cause it flies. The only thing that blocks it is Baleful Strix really, you know, um, whereas, uh, um, mongoose gets stonewalled by young pyromancer and true name and Gurmag and all these other ground creatures. Um, and if you're, you don't really need 10 one drops, you know, because that really just opens you up to bad experiences with something like engineered explosives. So, you know, unfortunately, I think it just leads you in that direction to just play the fill your graveyard with stifles deck in blue red. Yeah. Um, unless you really need like to kill an enchantment. The other thing is like you need to kill an enchantment, right? Because <laughs> you can't do that in blue red. But yeah. you can bounce an enchantment. <laughs> That's right. Bounce it. Um. Okay. Uh, so are we on we're Phil? we're up to me again. I think. All right. All right. The moment so, of truth. Uh, yeah. Fifteen minutes. So this this is the is it fifteen minutes exactly? Almost. Um, I think it's thirteen minutes. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> th this is a card that I think is probably very good in these like uh, control like Grix's control mirrors that we haven't seen because we just haven't really paid attention to this card since it was printed, um, and that's Dual Caster Mage. Oh, there you go. You really got us. <laughs> or you got me at least. Dual caster mage. Dual caster mage. So that that is a uh, a three mana. It's one and two red, uh, two one with flash. And when it enters the battlefield, you copy target instant or sorcery spell, and you can choose new targets for the copy. So your opponent goes, "I'm going to Kogan's command you," and you go, "I'm going to Kogan's command you." You know, like think about all, all these ways that you can use this card to uh, leverage your opponent's big spells. Now, obviously this doesn't work in situations like show and tell, you know, or, uh, you know, you want, you want to be playing against other decks that are, are getting value, but you can always use this on your opponents, like ponder if you have to, you know, like I think that uh, being able to leverage your opponent's good cards against them is, is pretty powerful. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to one up, your dual caster mage mm. for something that is dual caster mage, but might might be a little stronger for its flexibility. Fork. No. <laughs> Twin cast. Close. <laughs> Dire Fleet Daredevil. Dire Fleet Daredevil, man. Red caster mage. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about Dire Fleet Fleet Daredevil is it doesn't have flash. I I I think I see where you're coming from on this stack, or with you know that's the that's that's where I'm that's where I'm going. Flash is first really strike. good, right? First strike. I know, but that's the thing. What is what is better? First strike, and you can't. And first... as a heads up, you have to cast the card that your opponent's pl that your opponent has already played. Dire, uh, dual caster mage is free. 
you know, after the cost. This is interesting. Dual caster mage. You know, there's there's so many there's so many little things you could hit. There's reanimate, for example. Mm-hmm. Like they go to reanimate something, you just reanimate your own thing. Or you reanimate their thing instead. Oh, that's right. Yeah, never mind. Okay, <laughs> I got it. Yeah, yeah you. How you good is it. that? <laughs> how good is that? Um, uh, I'll actually reanimate your target. No, actually, I'll do. How's that? that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you may choose new targets, but you don't have to. Um, Dire Fleet Daredevil Dual Cast Range. Let's talk about those cards together for a second. Yeah. Is is what red what red is getting recently from sets whether it's arclight phoenix or light up the stage uh and what was that other card we got in red um the bolt skewer the critics is red getting enough power to start seeing some of these red creatures that have been printed start to be role players well okay so unfortunately light up the stage and skewer the critics don't work for what what dual caster mage wants to do right like they're not you know they don't really like say, hey, play a control deck. Um, that said, um, I think that uh, I think that seeing seeing like a, a red become more of this like uh, you know, it used to be back in the day, blue was the quintessential secondary color in every deck. And I'm talking back in the day like, you know, old school, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Blue was a, a color you wanted in every deck, but you didn't really want to play it main, right? Um, because you had Sarah Angel or whatever. You always had something better to do in another color, um, but you needed the counter spells, right? I feel like what we're seeing now is red is becoming that color uh, for a lot of decks. We're like, look at Rug Delver. You're only playing red for Lightning Bolts, and that's purely yeah. to control stuff, right? Uh, you look at Grixis Delver uh, and Grixis Control, you know, Bolt, obviously, Kogan's Command, uh, you know, you, you don't have a ton of... Like, red is the utility color in, in these decks. And so I think Dual Caster Mage is a solid utility card uh, in, in that respect. Yeah, but if you want to play a Blood Moon, too. Yeah, again, that's like, like that's just a... I mean, I mean in, in the case where you're playing a Blood Moon, your deck is probably monocolor. But, uh, you know, Dual Caster Mage works in that respect, too. You know, like, you, you, you your opponent only has so many spells he can uh, cast, and bouncing them back at, at his face is probably not the worst. Yeah. No, it's a, that's a good pull. I think it's a card I totally forgot about, and uh, it makes you wonder if it if it could find a spot. So, so um, Phil, Phil, Nate, did I did I uh, did I come through on that, or you know, uh, was it lackluster? Well, this, I... a, this now makes me go. At what point, like, are you looking at dual custom mage? Would you also then look at something like expansion explosion? So I like expansion explosion in standard. Uh, because you can combine it with uh, Fight with Fire, because Fight with Fire is basically Urza's Rage. Um, but the problem with Expansion Expulsion is that um, when your opponent casts something that's spicy uh, above four, um, you just have to stare at him and go, man, I wish this was a fork or a dual caster. What is, what is there aside from force? I, I don't know, but force is a thing, right? Like, countering countering your opponent's spell with this two-mana counter spell basically... Um, if it, if it could have copied a force is, is a thing for sure. I love the fact that it costs two, two blue and two, two red hybrid mana, you know, like that, that's huge. That like the fact that it costs the hybrid mana is, is huge. But I think actually, uh, there's a lot of, uh, value to what you just said. I think force is the card that makes this card not be as playable because there are so many instant instances where you would want to, uh, use this to counter your opponent's force. Yeah, unfortunately, and it just it, it just dies in your hand in, in that case. Yeah, 
Resolving explosion is pretty fun. Yeah, but... I mean, I, that's awesome <laughs> that's if you can do happen. that. But like, you like you have to be playing the grindiest deck with no with no fetch lands, right? Like, yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I I I like I like expansion explosion. Uh, for uh for standard for sure. I'm I'm I, I've been playing it for uh on on arena for a while now, but I yeah. I don't feel like it does what I want dual caster mage to do. I mean, that's the other thing about dual caster mage. If, if you're in late game and you cast a uh, Gurmog angler for one mana and your opponent's like counter spell and you're like, no, uh, now I'm going to, uh, double down with this, uh, dual caster mage and counter your counter spell. Like yeah. there, there's just so many ways to use, use that card that I, I feel like, uh, you know, obviously it doesn't, copy like a planeswalker or something but oh like... you know what wasn't getting played the first time sorry but you mm. know what wasn't getting played the first time we talked about this card uh mm. accumulated knowledge yeah dude come on <laughs> oh. you know oh well you know, here's they, the thing about accumulated, accumulated knowledge. knowledge you're not gonna oh you do get the bonus actually because yeah. it's all yeah, graveyards yeah. yeah not the um, worst that's a card that wasn't being played and now it is and you know they they go to dirtle around their accumulated knowledge and you just get a 2-2 and all the cards yeah. Yeah. Um, I have like about five minutes left. I don't know if you guys want to stick around, but the Phil, the card that Phil has that I want to talk about is Birds of Paradise. Yeah, do it. Phil, what would you think of Birds of Paradise? So the thing that actually made me think of Birds of Paradise was Leovold. Uh-huh. We've um, Leovold, just yeah. because back when Deathrite was around, people would be on two Leovold, three Leovold, something like that. Mm-hmm. And Leovold was just an insane turn two play. But now in his colors, he's a little clunky at three. He's now competing just straight up with TNN. Um, and his his color requirements make it way more difficult. And the format is fast. But I still think that Leopold's an insane card if he was enabled to just be a turn two play. Mm-hmm. And the only now reasonable birds that you can be, like Mana Dorks you can be playing is Birds of Paradise or Noble Hierarch. And since Leovold wants to be able, like sometimes you would want to cast, need to tap for black, I thought of Birds of Paradise. And it made, it didn't, it was surprising to me because I thought about how elves could just be the new Leovold deck if they wanted to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Green Sun package that, like if you're playing Birds of Paradise and Green Sun in some capacity, you can like find your Leovolds faster. And then also just you have a bunch of mana dorks because you could just green sun zero for a dryad arbor. Um, yeah. And so I was just thinking like of all of the mana dorks that see play, I see no, I see zero birds of paradise in legacy. And I wonder if just getting up on the mana advantage for a card that's worth more than going than spending the card on the mana dork, because like let's say you went turn to TNN, right? TNN or Leovold or whatever you play, whatever you get on that second turn after a bird is going to be worth more than a card. Yeah. I think that what I liked about this choice and why I wanted to talk about after we had our earlier conversation was it gives you a reason to play green that green is good at. Only green does this, right? Now. Now. now I know. Everyone's <laughs> going to say, hey, you didn't want Deathrite Shaman banned. I understand that. But look what happened. Like, Deathrite Shaman got banned and now no one plays green either. And I think that the question is, like, what what can you put together? What can you assemble that when you play a turn one Birds of Paradise, the Bolt the Bird conversation comes up? And Leovold and True Name Nemesis, Monastery Mentor, 
you know, with green, you get Sylvan Library. The, the idea of like a Sylvan Mentor deck is out there that I don't think anyone's ever really tried. Um, like a Bat Mentor, maybe, uh, with like uh, Birds of Paradise and Hierarch, maybe. Right, exactly. If you're gonna, I guess you're gonna do that. You can just play uh, Noble Hierarch, but I guess you want to get black or red, and there's yeah. Birds of Paradise hanging out there, waiting for it, waiting for you to play it. The other thing that this alludes back to is, do you remember the old Natural Order decks that would just play green, like a good Bant deck? And natural order for a progenitus. Yeah. Like that could come back. You have a bunch of really good green creatures and all of the incidental green creatures that you're using to enable these like, you know, stickier threats are just green dorks. Yeah. Green has become this sort of weird combo color in legacy recently where it's only ever seen in elves and in like the turbo depths decks because of its ability to find lands and its ability to be elves. But yeah, you're not. You're not. I mean, that would be that would be another combo deck, I guess, in a way. And then food Birds chain. of Paradise. <laughs> right. Well, food chain. I want. I remember Brian. I have to ask him when I see him tonight if he's playing Birds of Paradise and food chain because they have in the past, or mm-hmm. you know, since Deathrite was was banned because they need to make black, um, and uh, Noble Hierarch doesn't cut it. So, anyway, I I, uh, I enjoyed this discussion. I, I've 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 been having. I've been. Uh, I I really enjoyed hearing you know what you guys had to say about uh what cards are underplayed mostly because they both they a lot of them made me say oh yeah and then we always got onto another card right after that that is underplayed in some other way you know yeah in fact we didn't mention we talked about thunderous wrath temporal mastery which but as soon as you said some thunderous wrath that was like oh yeah temporal mastery i watched some of the vintage super league time walk with a mentor in play that seemed pretty good and how do we not do this <laughs> you know yeah you know like a lot of these things been un- underexplored noxious revival that you mentioned you know, is is a card that is underplayed. There's a opening for free spell Phyrexian mana card that does something super busted, and there it is, just sitting there in the card pool waiting for you to use it. You know, the cards that I I, I have, like I would love to figure out a way to actually make these cards playable is Pure and Toothy. Pure and Toothy. Someone has, I think someone has five would with that, that Pure Imaginative Rascal Bant deck. No, maybe they just played it, <laughs> posted about it, but yeah. Well, they're more interesting than True Name, that's for sure. A lot of yeah. these cards we're talking about as three mana cards, Dual Caster Mage being another one. So, you know, whether or not the interesting part can sort of expand, uh, sort of translate into wins, I think is where you end up with a lot of these, you know, three drops or up the curve plays. So, yeah. But. So y- you have to head out, right? Yes, I have to head out. All right, I- I'm still down to to talk. I have I have a couple more cards, Phil. Are you down to stay? Hell yeah, I'm down to stay. All right. All right. Well, have a good night, Phil, guys. It's been a pleasure. Or sorry, uh, Nate, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, guys. Have a good night. Let me tell you something, brother. If you're digging this podcast, you got to go over to Patreon.com/slash/EternalDurtles and become a patron right now. Oh yeah. All right, so uh, I guess I'll go with the next one here. Um, painful Truths. Yeah, dude, Painful Truths was like the talk of the town back when we had uh, like the conversation of going, is, is Shardless Agent into Ancestral better or worse than just casting Painful Truths? Right. I mean, getting and, that getting that for free, not having to set up anything, you know, for free. I mean, get you know the the cost of having to play more than a couple of colors in three life. Uh, but but I think that this is a card that like we're not seeing play, isn't seeing play. Um, and you know, again, we're seeing a more attritiony meta for the top decks. 
And at the bottom, we're not, you know, the decks that are winning because they're uh, aggressive are, are going to get you whether or not you're taking uh, damage. You're taking, you're paying three life, you know? They're, they're combo decks for the most part. I think the, uh, the it, it has a similar argument to, in Miracles decks, the argument of playing Predict versus AK. Mm-hmm. Where predict requires setup, but is inherently a more powerful card, because you know you getting chafe off the top of your deck or whatever is just, you know, like the the first predict is always going to be better than the first AK. Yeah. Um, and back when the argument was uh, setting up shardless into an ancestral, that two two was actually then like not something that you could just discount. You know, like a two two body was actually pretty relevant. Now it's a little bit less so because everything's in the air or gigantic. But uh, yeah, I could see an argument for playing painful truths. I, I, I would think that like playing it in a, a deck where you actually do have incidental life gain, whether it's a Stoneforge deck or there was actually a really interesting modern deck that I wonder if you could just replace the cards that aren't powerful enough with the things in Legacy that are. But there was one that played the Exert card. It was a 3-1 for, for one and a white and you could exert it to make it a 4-4 lifelinker. Oh, okay. And so they would play that on two, exert it, gain four, and painful choose on three. Not bad. And like I don't know if I don't think a two mana three one is is good enough, but uh if there were other thing if there were other cards that were more powerful that incidentally gained you, you know, incremental life over the course of the game. I mean that that's more of like a batter skull. That's just like a you know a big life linker. Yeah. But you just like had ways to incidentally gain life over the course of a game, then those painful choose really just become free. Um and if you can find ways to gain life, that like something like Dovin, where it's just like make a one-one and gain a life, right? Like, who gives a shit that that one life is attached? But if there's a way to abuse that over the course of a long game, because you're trying to play a control deck, because you're like painful truths is attritioning, um, like I could see a deck that's just enabled by painful truths, as or not enabled is is enabled and therefore is paid off by painful truths. Yeah, I uh, I, I think I mean obviously I agree. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a card that we, we just haven't seen a lot of, of play with because people tried it initially and the format was like a, a little too, you, you had to worry about going too low because your opponent always had that ability to, uh, death right you out if, if, uh, you know, you, you got to a stall. I also think that there's argument for like painful truths is the type of card that's exceptionally powerful because of its rate. Mm -hmm. And if it had a card similar to Deathrite where you weren't playing it for the life gain, but you had the option of life gain, that it just gave you an out. Like, let's say Deathrite had just the mana ability and the life gain ability. It's like if, if they just printed a green dork like that, right, that had an exile creature gain life, is that... Is, is, is a play pattern where you play that card for the mana ability initially, but then also just have the backdoor way of gaining life that just enables you to play Painful Truce, make a new deck. It's very possible. I mean, that's like, that, that could just be like one printing away, right? Like the incidental life gain card that you actually want to play on its own merits, and then you don't have to look for things outside of the power level to make it so Painful Truce doesn't actually punch you in the face. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 could, be, it could be in the next set for all we know. Yeah, I mean, anything that they print at like early on where painful truce is just something that you could cast on three and you want to be doing that, and then you can just make some exchanges over the course of a, of a long game and just like never be down on cards, right? Like, 
Shardless Bug was just like, yeah, uh, Death Rider thought sees you, and then turn two him you, and then turn three, like, try and Shardless for an ancestral. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was like, it, it was a pretty ridiculous deck, uh, like, a series of plays when when it could be done. The problem was that, you know, people weren't playing it because there there was, like, a set list to play, you know? The other argument, might too, why it doesn't see as much play is also that things at three mana in the grindy decks, now you have shit like Lily Last Hope that's just an incidental win condition. Yeah. I mean, there uh, is that, too. So it's like painful truth. It's tough to just play in like the sideboard for matchups where you want to grind because you can just play these insane win, can, win cons. Um, but I think that painful truth is just like on the cusp, right? Like it's on the cusp of just being the backbone of a deck. Um, it's similar to like uh, I thought Electro Dominance out of the new set might find a home in Legacy just as a way to cast Restore Balance and Ancestral. Yeah. And it's just like. Well, Restore Balance was just on the cusp. It just needed a way to like actually make it so you could cast it when you want to. And a card that says Red Red Balance is pretty good. Yeah, it just comes down to, like, why do you want to Restore Balance? Right? Like, how do you leverage that into a situation where you can win? I get, like, wanting to Wheel of Fate. Like, yeah, you want to draw more cards. Sure. I totally understand, uh, you know, uh, Living Death. Or, sorry, uh not living living death uh what is it called uh living end uh you know th all those things make sense for me restore balance i don't know why you're restoring balance yeah i mean i i don't i i was just throwing out an example i don't yeah. have an idea of like why you would restore balance now but like <laughs> i need a deck list now uh <laughs> it's kind of like um i i just think like if you had a way you know it's similar to if you just like could do something like uh i get that we're moving on to like electro dominance right now but if you just like did it for three mana or four mana to kill their threat and then off of it stuck an ancestral or a standstill or something like that, I'm just thinking of that because we were talking about it earlier. But it's like if you killed their threat, played a standstill and then untapped and passed the turn and then now they're locked under a standstill or you have a man land or something, it's like, well, this turned around pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, that's those what are, it felt those like are with, the plays when, that, that make some of the best decks in the format right now. Look at, look at like. Colgan's command, where you're like, oh, I'll make you discard your only card in hand, and I'll bring back the Snapcaster Mage. You know, play like that is just backbreaking. Speaking of all the, these things, is Shardless? Is there still any world where that card's good? Uh, I mean, no one's really playing it right now. I don't. I haven't seen anyone play uh, Shardless Bug for a very long time. But I mean, it does see play in uh, stuff like. Uh, a Lauren. Yeah. I thought it would see more play when Assassin's Trophy was printed because that card just makes it so you have less blind hits. Yeah. Because, like, you would flip into an Abrupt Decay, and that would be awful if you didn't have anything to decay. But now that you have Assassin's Trophy, you can just, like, you know, hit a duel. Yeah, hit a, hit a land or whatever. It's fine. Especially in Legacy, where, if, if like, that's your, your fail rate is, like, you hit an Assassin's Trophy and hit a duel that they may not have another basic. Because you could also just... Does Assassin's Trophy say non-basic? This says permanent, right? It just says uh, any any permanent, I believe. Destroy a permanent. Yeah, you could also just like... A lot of decks that are only playing a one-of basic of their color, you could also just blow them out of that color. You know? Yeah, like, I mean, that happens enough in Rug that it's a real thing. 
<laughs> yeah, you're, you're just like, oh, you're playing your one basic swamp in your deck or whatever. I'm just going to flip this. I blind flip this and then cut you off your your swamps. And now, now you're, I can just like target your black sources. Yeah. Or something. That's just an example. Uh, I thought I thought of Charles that off of your painful truth things. This is like why I like these episodes because you make me think of cards that I wasn't thinking about for a long time. Um, so now it's your turn uh, for a card. We've gone from uh, painful truths to. Um, I think the other card I had on my list. It's seeing. It's starting to see more play, but I I think it should. It should start to be on everybody's radar as something that you could do, which is just spell snare. Yeah, I mean I I love a spell snare. Now that the format has. Like every fair deck, if you're not if if you're a fair non-white deck, right, you're playing Baleful Strix. Every fair non-white deck is playing four Baleful Strix, and it's it's just ubiquitous. Yeah, so I you, agree. You have, you have that. You have him against the the fair blue decks. You have Snapcaster. Uh, Miracles has AK counterbalance uh, against um, any of the combo decks. Like you hit Infernal Tutor out of Storm. You hit Exhum out of Reanimator. If you're on the play, you can snag a Chalice of the Void that on their turn one. Like Young Snare Pyromancer. So yeah, Pyromancer. It has so many applications in the current format because after the Deathrite ban happened, you can't just go from we one didn't to three. Skip. Yeah, we didn't skip uh, two completely anymore. And now all of these fair decks are just on, like, I mean, the, the deck that won M MKM, it was an Esper Mentor deck. But really what it was was it's a Grixis control deck that subbed the red for white. Yeah. So it just instead of playing K Command, it would play Mentor, and then it would just change, exchange its removal for sorts of the Plowshares. But otherwise, it was a blue-black deck splashing white the same way Grixis is a blue-black deck splashing red. And that deck was playing four hymns. And it's like, if you want to just like blow the hymn player out, like play your spell snares. And then like snap spell snare to like win snap wars is like, if you have a, a, a spell snare and your opponent doesn't, and you're both on the same plan of like trying to grind with your Snapcasters, Strixes, and hymns, like, you're going to be so far ahead because your mana exchange is going to be like so lopsided. Yeah, not to mention when your opponent snapcasters after you've already cast spell snare and then you snapcast your uh, spell snare into snapcaster, you know. Yeah, and snag them. It's just like having and even just having like one incidental spell snare in your deck, like the the cost of having it in your deck, like the the ceiling on a spell snare against literally anything that it can catch is so high versus the decks where it's going to be blank, right? Like, it doesn't do anything against Sneak and, Sh uh, Sneak and Show, but the majority of the field just has a wide variety of very impactful spells at two. Yeah. Like, you're playing against a Stoneforge uh, Mystic deck, and you just snare their Stoneforge. Like, well, they're set way back now. Yeah, there's few things as good as, as, as getting a Stoneforge with, sna with, with a spell snare. It's like Tarmogoyf... Used to be the the like ultimate thing, but no one no one's really playing that now. Um, but you know, with Assassin's Trophy out there now, people are diversifying their removal, so you can now counter a two mana removal spell. I was just thinking that like the hardest thing for miracles to deal with too is like a Sylvan Library. Mm. You just have Spell Snare, and you can just like snag it because even if they want to play around Pierce or something like that, like they can. Like Snare is always going to trade up, and if you're playing a, against a deck where you are going to know the majority of their 75 and you're like looking out for the Snapcaster, you're looking out for the him, or if you're a deck like, I mean, Rug Delver is a great example where it's like the worst card they can resolve against you is just a Baleful Strix. Yeah. Right? Like just having this incidental card on blue to always be trading up 
is just your it's time walk it's time walk plus against the decks where it's insane you know yeah i agree and it's like even in the late game against the chalice decks like it's great on the play versus chalice decks but like if you deal with the chalice and then they draw one later on it's not going to be dead you know like the fact that it's always where like spell pierce over a long game can just be a blank piece of cardboard if snare has any relevant threats against it which most decks have have to be right now because you have to be playing two drops it's always going to be good. I think Spell Snare is like one of those cards where it's starting to see an uptick in play, but I, I, I'm, I, I think it's only going to be a matter of time before it's, you know, people are just playing it as like a three of or four of or doing a straight up split with Spell Pierce or just, I mean, I, I think the card is insane. And like, I'm going to be playing at uh, the side events at the GP in Jersey this weekend. And I, all of the decks that I'm, I'm considering uh, practicing all have, uh, somewhere between two and four spell snares across the 75. I mean, that's the way to do it. I, I mean, two and four. Wow, four is a lot, I feel like. Four is a lot, but like, let's say you... If if I'm playing against Grixis Control, right? Hmm? Spell snare is insane. Yeah, you're right. It's not... It's, it's like not, all the cards that not, they would yeah. want to... All the cards that they would keep against me on, on like my grindy fair decks too would be Strix and him and Snapcaster. Like, all of the things that are so relevant just get boned by a spell snare. I'd like to see in in the slot of one of those a divert. Yeah, but the thing is, is that divert can't divert a K command to full effect. No, it, that's true. Unless they bolt you and make you discard a card, or that, that that's single target, right? Yeah, it has to be single target. Um, it's the hit. It's getting somebody with a him that's just like such a blowout. They him you, you're like divert, and they're like, oh no, I've lost. Yeah, that has like higher blowout potential. I mean, I, I, I of course, I, I'm always gonna shy on the side of like, what's gonna be the more consistently powerful thing? Yeah. And it's like obviously like if you divert a him, like the game ends. But like, if they if you're holding up divert and they cast the Strix, you're like ah. Uh, yeah, of course. You know, where is just like good against everything. I mean, that is the that is the. Uh... Risk reward, the, risk reward. Yeah, the true the true fallout of of any of these uh, situational uh, counter spells. Yeah, I just think like I, I think spell snare right now is so good because it's going to be good early and it's going to be good late against decks where they have a lot of targets and that is against most decks right now because if you're a fair blue deck, you're playing Snapcaster against DNT or anything like that. Like they can't cavern everything because they're they're creature types are too diversified so it's like if they want to put it on core to protect their stone forges they can't protect their thalias and vice versa um like just hitting your like against a miracles deck like you hit their snapcasters or you hit a relevant ak right like if they're trying to ak for two or ak for three and then you just like blow them out and now their hands empty because they were looking for that to refill them yeah and it's so in like one mana and trading up is just such an insane swing that it's like I, I, it's really hard to play around spell snare because it's like you either don't cast your two drop or all, all, it costs you very little to hold up the, the blue mana, you know, because that blue mana can then hold up a brainstorm. You can hold it up and represent either snare or pierce on your split. Oh yeah. You're going to uh, have it open so often. Anyhow, like that just as like, uh, uh, I can wait to cast brainstorm. You know, I've got a pierce in hand already, you know, that sort of thing. The other thing um, yeah. too is that it's it, it being cheap means that doing something in the in the later on in the game where you just they cast their 
I mean, let's say you're in a grinding matchup and they cast their Snapcaster, and you can then find your snare off of a, your Brainstorm or your other cantrips and snag and it. And still cast it, yeah. You know? I, I, one of the things I like about uh, Snare be, being that it is a situational uh, counterspell, but it's a finite, a finalic uh, one. It doesn't ask your opponent to pay some more mana. So when it is cast in the late game, it's happening. It's a hard counter. Yeah. yeah. It's situational, but it's a, it's, it's a hard counter that always trades up. And like obviously it's not as good as Mental Misstep, but Mental Misstep had the same mechanic, right? It was a hard counter that always traded up mana. Almost always. What do you mean almost always? I sometimes, mean, unless you, pay sometimes you paid the blue. <laughs> yeah, but like for what for like the, the actual application of the card, right? Yeah, of course. Where there the only other hard counter spells in the format are force, and maybe sometimes when people play counterspell. Yeah. So like if you were trying to win a counterspell war, like also hitting your opponent's counterspell or hitting your opponent's search for Azkanta. Like, there are so many relevant two-drops right now that Spell Snare is just, in my mind, primed to be a a format-defining card to make people have to, like, rearrange how they build their decks until, you know, somebody just runs through a tournament because they have a bunch of Spell Snares in their deck. Yep. All right, so I've got my, my final card. Um, This is one that uh, I, I think... I, I'm not positive how this is going to fall to you, but here, here's here's what I'm going with. Uh, Spell Queller. Yeah, I was thinking about Spell Queller. I've tried it before. Have you ever tried it? Uh, yeah, I've, I've played it uh, in Miracles as like a sideboard card against other like control decks where I can like counter their spell, counter their counter spell and get an incidental damage kind of in yeah, the game I, a little maybe, bit faster. Maybe that's, that's a little bit more interesting, playing it out of the board. I tried playing it main in like a a more uh, flash style Stoneforge deck. Okay. Where you know I was I was in, interested in playing things like click, but I didn't want to have too many clicks so I wouldn't get glutted on the same legend. Yeah. And so I was trying out Spellcaller. I, I just found Spellcaller to be like I just found more often than not I was trading down on mana. Yeah, you and, almost and- always are. And then it would die to everything. But I was also playing it in the main. So maybe playing it in the board when people board out. If you're playing it in a deck where they would board out the removal. Yeah, then that's it becomes... generally what happens. is like they, they board out removal against your against your deck. You play Spell Queller. So what happens is uh, they you know they take out their swords or whatever. Their terminuses. And and then they make a play like, oh, I'll Snapcaster and, and go for Ponder. And you're like, no. You know, now their Snapcaster's stuck under there forever because they don't have a way to get rid of your, your guy and you're just pegging him for two every turn yeah I, I ran it i actually did run into what you were talking about with uh expansion explosion where spell queller was always best fighting against counter spells because then unless they want to get into like some tricky stack situation where they kill the queller and then use their counter spell yeah Jeez. um Queller not being able to hit Force of Will was a thing. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a, that's the main reason was, why ex- Expansion Explosion, I don't think, will make it into the format. Yeah, I think it's also a hit against Spell Queller of, like, it's it, it's competing against too much at three, and then it not having, like, a, 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 a sizable enough butt. Like, it being a two-three means that, like, it can trade with a Delver uh it's not going to be stopping anything that's on the ground like it's not really going to be stopping anything that pokes on the ground against like maybe a thalia yeah i'll tell uh, you what, the other deck that i brought it in against a lot was uh show and tell they just don't oh, have yeah, removal. they just have no way to remove you know it. yeah. it's just against like here's my really here's my two three i countered your uh your show and tell you know and and then there you go 
it, that that's a hard counter spell with a, with a with like a you know you're, yeah, you're that, making waves that, now. That seems way more appealing to me. Um, that makes me think. What do you think about Mausoleum Wanderer? Is that a card that should be seeing more play? I don't know, man. I think that card's too fra like it's too fragile by itself. Um, but on top of that, I just don't like think the clock's fast enough. It's it's how much how much is it in in mana? It's just a blue. It's it's one blue. Oh, I'm sorry, Mausoleum Wanderer, wrong card. Uh, I, I was thinking of something else. Character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I so I think that I'd I'd rather play. I, I man, it's tough with that card because it's like, it's it's basically uh, uh, what is it? The what what is the other card that's like that? Um, the Drake, like Drake Hatchling. That's like the no. That's the um. There's the uh, the Azorius hybrid bird that. Does, yeah, the uh, bird. I I can't remember what that one's called either. So, judge so, is familiar. Judge is familiar. Yeah. So they're both they're both pretty good. Or curse catcher, obviously. Duh. That's that's the card I was actually thinking of. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah. I I like I like this card because uh, obviously it flies, so that it makes it that much better. And I mean the the spirits thing is kind of whatever, but I feel like the bird's probably better. The oh yeah, judge is familiar. Yeah. Just because you can cast it for either. Yeah. I mean, there's it's there's that. I, I, the other actually in in that same same like weird like one mana creature slot like Mistcaller, right? Oh yeah, Mistcaller. I mean, that's Mistcaller. I thought was their way of giving non-white decks access to a containment priest. Yeah, I mean, uh, d just to read off what Mistcaller does because we just started rattling off a bunch of random cards. Uh, Mistcaller is a one blue Merfolk uh, one one. Uh, it sacrifice it until end of turn. Non-token creatures that would enter the battlefield uh, and w weren't cast would exile. So it's a it's a one-shot containment priest. Yeah. Um. It, you know, it, it's it's. It, I mean, it, it basically gets around losing that turn to show and tell, right? Because like, uh, your opponent's gonna cast show and tell, and then you're gonna sack this, and then they're not going to. To put the creature into play um because that would be crazy well you have to if you cast this they are priced out of cast it, it just makes it so they can't cast the show and tell Correct. unless they're putting in an omniscience yeah um so if they cast it it you're priced into sacking it but it you know that they wouldn't cast their show and tell unless they had an omniscience so it, it just it blanks their show and tells and then just stalls yeah, it's out there buying you it time. You have to pay another red for sneak attack. Yeah, because they can just choose not to put it in on sneak. This is Here's true. The, the other, the, do you want to get to the the last card that I had? Yes, let's get to the last card you had. Why hasn't Madcap Experiment shown up in Legacy? <laughs> Why? I don't know. I could think of some amount of reasons. <laughs> like I get that K Command just like makes it can blow it out, but like, what if you just played? you know, show in Madcap. And we're like, I'm going to play show and tell in Madcap experiment. And Platinum Imperium? Is you can play Platinum or you could just play, like, if you just were, like, you just ground zero, right? You're like, okay, I'm playing, I'm cutting Sneak Attack because Sneak Attack also requires a threatened hand where Madcap Experiment does not. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yep. Show and tell and Madcap are both sorceries. So if you wanted to do, like, a Burning Wish style build or you wanted to play, like, Personal Tutor, you could get either of them. Um... But you could just like swap your Emrakuls for Blightsteel Colossus. And then yeah. like, guess who doesn't give a fuck about 
take command, true, blights true. Colossus, and it's also a one-shot kill. So if you know you're playing like yes, there's going to be some amount of time where like you're at a life total where you just get domed and you die because you cast Madcap. But like if you're just like looking for the threat that you could also show and tell into play, like show and telling in a fucking uh, blade steel Colossus is also going to be lights out against everything that's not swords to plowshares. Well, let's talk about Madcap experiment real fast and tell people what it does because oh, come on, and everybody knows I'm Madcap sure, experiment. I'm uh, sure on. no one's played this card ever aside from uh, aside from you and like one guy at like an FNM. Uh, no, people people play uh, people have played it in modern with platinum Imperium. Yeah, yeah, I've, I mean I've played I've played against that deck. Uh, so oh, anyhow, yeah, Madcap experiment is a uh, one red three colorless uh, sorcery uh, that says Reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal an artifact card. Put that card into the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in random order. Uh, then the Madcap Experiment deals damage equal to the number of cards revealed this way to you. So um, the thing that this says you can't do is it says you can't play with Lotus Petal. Yeah, you definitely can't be playing with Lotus Petal. You can't, but you, you have ways around that because you can just play Simeon Spirit Guide or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world, but I still think that, like, wouldn't you just rather have a Grizzle Brand? No, I'm totally, but, like, I'm saying that if, let, let's say your hand, like, in your hand to make it to go off with Sneak Attack, you need five mana plus a, a, a fatty. Mm -hmm. Where this one, you just need four mana. You don't have to have the threat in your hand. It's true. It's true. I mean, I think that, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know if Platinum Imperium is, like, good enough is what it comes down to. Like, obviously, Blightsteel Colossus is good enough, but there's going to be so many times where you just, like, brick. All right, you're playing, if you're playing against a deck that doesn't have the mainboard artifact removal, like K-Command, mm -hmm. okay, so they if, if they don't have K-Command or Swords to Plowshares, they can't remove a Platinum Imperium. True, true. Like if you're if you're playing against combo, let's say you just like, you know, the same way that you could turn to a show and tell. If you, you double turn spirit guide your, this guy, yeah. If you just turn two off a, a a tomb land simian spirit guide madcap, right, which doesn't require you to have a threat in your hand. Sure. And then you just flip over and find your platinum or your uh, blightsteel colossus. Like the game is over, right? Like, I mean, against a, a platinum imperion, like storm can't kill you. This is true. Unless they have a, a bounce spell, like th that's it. They lost. Game one, there's no there's no coming back from Platinum Imperium. Also, if you're playing against uh, a fair deck with your Platinum Imperium, yes, it's obviously awful for you if they have a K command, but it's also just a thing where it's an 8-8. Eight -eight. It's not the easiest clock to deal with. No, not at all. I mean, and then you... White Steel is just straight up a one-shot kill. And if you're playing it with Show and Tell and you're already in the interest of playing four Blight Steels because you're just supping them out so you can play Madcap, yeah. like, I mean, I would love to, I haven't done any of the math, but I would love to I would, to see what the actual math is. Like, let's say you opened your seven and uh, for every time you turn two to turn three to a Madcap experiment, so let's say, you know, after seven cards, so let's say you're 10 cards deep, right? Mm -hmm. There's 50 cards left in your deck. What is the average amount of life that you can expect to lose with four Blight Steels in your deck? Like, 12. Is it that high? I mean, you're probably going to hit it before then. I'm just saying, if they're spread out evenly and as far away from each other as possible, you know, like, that's that's the answer, is like 10 or 12. 
somewhere in there. Um, you know, I'm, the thing I, I like I, about this idea is that um, you even if your opponent is playing K Command, like you can set yourself up so that you uh you have fluster storms and whatnot. Like you are a deck full of counter spells. You know, and just fight over it. Yeah. Yeah. That was like the one card that's never found its way into Legacy in like any impactful way. And it being a one card combo is shocking to me that it hasn't. Yeah. I mean, try it tomorrow. <laughs> I don't I have to. I have to find me some blade steals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, I think, I think that idea has legs. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see, uh, to see somebody try it. Um, I mean, you can also just naturally, like, I don't know, you can brainstorm and set it up so you don't lose life. Also, that's that's real, actually. Um, well, Phil, I, I actually have to get, get going, too. Uh, so I think, I don't know, did you have any other cards off the top of your head that you wanted to talk about? No, Madcap was my big finale. I think right. that, I, I just want to find a way to make that happen. <laughs> All right, well, we'll cut it there. Um, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, everyone who's subscribed, uh, lately, uh, much appreciated. And, uh, ev to all of our Patreon supporters, I appreciate it. And if you guys want to, uh, help make the show great, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash eternal dirtles and, uh, help us out there. Thanks so much. Night everybody. to get those wonderful toys. Eternal Dirtles is supported by Audible.com. If you'd like a free audiobook and start up a trial with Audible, you can go to audibletrial.com slash eternaldirtles and they'll hook you up with a free book and you'll be supporting the show. Thanks so much.